Good morning, church. It's a delight for me to be here and uh, share with uh, Faith Evangelical. And I have really enjoyed these uh, yesterday and today, being with you in several settings and formats uh, over uh, meals in the seminars we've had. We've got one more time I'm going to meet with the leaders of our church talking about being missional in the kind of global setting we find uh, ourselves in. Whilst uh, I must say that uh, the, the rest of America is thinking about uh, America becoming a mission field, the area that we find ourselves in is considered an unreached people group. Did you realize that? That Maine and uh, this part of the New England area, we have a program at Liberty University where I now am a professor uh, to reach the I-95 corridor, which goes right up this side, because they have done research, and Barna's List and others show that this is the most unchurched people group. So you're an exception to be here in church, celebrating God's goodness, and uh, a lot of uh, the rest of America is concerned about this part. I didn't know that when I was here at Bangor. Uh, that I was part of an unreached people group because most of the countries I go to, uh, they have never heard the name Jesus, not even once. Uh, but we have uh, people right in this sections of America that don't know the name Jesus apart from a swear word. And they need to also be reached, which is very, very exciting. I'm, I'm glad to be associated with you uh, and an extension of your outreach through uh, Asian as reaching Asian nationals. What I'm going to do today is very quickly, I thought I'll reverse the order for those uh, at the sound booth. I'm going to show you snippets of my recent trip to one of the eight countries I was in this summer. Uh, many of you have prayed. Uh, the Corbett's particularly will uh, write and tell me, okay, Chris, where are you now and wherever you are, we're praying uh, tomorrow, give us three requests. So, and so it's really exciting to know that a church is praying uh, for you. I enjoyed uh, getting to know uh, Pastor Bill and Barbara. Uh, we'd had meals together, uh, Dorothy and myself, and uh, fond memories of our time together. We are particularly excited about your lighthouse here in Waterville uh, with the Kobe and Thomas Colleges and the kind of witnesses uh, that we are producing. The last service, I spoke about a foreign exchange student who came from Tarsus in Sicilia and came to study in the University of Jerusalem under Gamaliel and changed the world. His name, Saul from Tarsus, the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine what you could do? Sito tells me that there's over 70 nationalities right here. And I, my heart exploded yesterday. 70 nations are represented in your backyard. That's a lot of potential for missions. And uh, I, I drove, I mean, I actually went uh, last night uh, pretty late and almost got lost crossing a railway track to Belgrade where the Kobits live. I mean, I, that was scary. I mean, it reminded me of some serial killer coming with an axe. So I was like, wow, you know. Uh, plus in the night, I, I was a little bit worried because I had this car uh, that I borrowed from uh, the WHCF, the radio, Christian radio station. And I suddenly realized, you know, in the night I was... And then I looked and I was going like 45 or something and it was like, your roads changed like from 45 to 25 and then, it go, you know, it's scary. So anyway, um, did you hear of that couple 
that uh, you know the elderly couple were driving on the highway and then they came off and, and then they went into the other road and and suddenly they saw the cops you know so the elderly guy was there and he kind of pulled off and the officer came by and he said can i see your driver's license registration he said officer is there a problem he said you were speeding he said i was he said huh? how, how fast was i going he said, you were, you were going about 70. He said, well, what's wrong with that? He said, that's speeding. He said, but it says 95. <laughs> he said, 95, that's the interstate. So he looked up and he saw, he said, oh, by the way, he said, your dear wife. And she was just white as a sheet like that. So he said, well, is she all right? Well, he said, she'll be all right, he says. I just got off 110. Um, you know, sometimes you, you, you go in such pace, and, and sometimes life is like that. I find that very difficult in America. Everybody's busy doing something but getting nowhere. You almost feel like you're in a merry-go-round. You feel like, stop the clock, I want to get off. Stop the earth, I want to jump off. And uh, in such a situation, how do you do missions? We live in a world of paradoxes today. Did you realize we've got so many time-saving devices and really no time to do what's really important? We get what we want and then we don't want what we got. We've got so much to live with and yet so little to live for. We've learned to walk on the moon but we can't live with our spouses at home. That is a paradox. The very things we are creating are destroying us today. And in this milieu, God calls us to do missions. What does that look like? Well, I'll give you the outline that we've done because this is the, four, this is the fourth of a series of four messages or studies that we've been doing with the mission leaders and the pastoral staff. Uh, pray for them as they see God's discernment. Is this going to come up on... This, the, just the outline. Uh, yeah, there you go. So what we've looked at, we've given them these four tools. Based on that wonderful benediction, the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd, that mega poemeno, that great pastor, chief shepherd of the sheep, equip you unto every good work. We use the word equip, and uh, from that verb, the noun form is equipment. And I showed them the only thing that Jesus asked us to do is what we're not doing. Jesus said, he left the church, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. And it seems that we've gravitated from that into a churchianity, into this comfort zone, into this place where we've moved into maintenance mode rather than missional mode. And then now and then we need not just mission conferences, we need the God of peace to disturb us. That's being prophetic. You know, some have this particular gift of being prophetic. They kind of disturb the comfortable and they comfort the disturbed. That's a very particular gift you have. And the Spirit of God does that ever so often to pastoral staff, to church leaders, even perhaps to us here at Faith Free. And maybe this service is not a comfortable topic. It may really disturb some of us. It may shake us up. It may ruffle our feathers and nest a little bit. But it may move us to do what God has called us to do. So, 
we've talked about this and uh, there are four tools next slide the, the the first tool we looked at is is intercession or supplication we looked at the whole aspect of being fishers of men and as if the ship is uh, the, boat, uh, the the church is like a ship and the wind beneath the sails is prayer i showed them in countries where things are happening everything is preceded and sustained through movements of prayer prayer works really does the next thing we looked at is apart from prayer we looked at the word of god last evening the role of using god's word and you know god's word is god's tool to do god's work we don't use it just let the word do the work communicate christ give people the gospel it's so important gossip the gospel wherever you go place it before them and i think the methodology changes how we do it is very important part of the reason why people particularly in the new england area are turned off to the gospel is because of the method or the way in which we we present it and so we had a discussion how do we communicate christ in a way that's winsome that people may want to be part of that the people will associate with we say you know what i want a bit of that i miss something uh, sometimes we think coming to church is an exercise in suffering you know i mean the, the whole understanding of what we do in church so we looked at the word of god as a tool and i moved the the conversation beyond just bible study i looked around and i saw evangelical churches becoming bibliolaters we worship the bible rather than the god of the bible but the word of god is given to us in order to share with others and that can happen you can have spiritual indigestion and you probably lost your appetite for lunch now but anyway when you just stomach yourself with so much of bible 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 when you're not sharing the word out i presented to the leaders a stark reality and i'll mention it now did you know that out of these 7.3 billion people in the world today half of them will go to bed starving hungry they could only afford one square meal did you know that half our world will go to bed starving hunger pangs but that's not what really concerns me you know what concerns me the other half is dieting to lose it what's wrong with that picture you say well that doesn't well that's exactly what's happening in this country we have churches with all kinds of bible studies and i was telling them about this precious moments bible i was talking to this lady she's like got all these dolls and all these pages and it's like precious things i said when was the last time you shared these precious things with someone well you know i don't know i mean i just enjoy the bible and you can't be a missional church if that's your maintenance mode and perhaps in conferences like this or emphasis on missions we need that nudge to move out to become missional i shared with the, the the leaders you don't have to cross the seas to do missions you may have to cross the street i live in an area just behind dallas airport now in chantelly uh, my dear friends johnny and heather were there uh, uh, a few weeks ago and it's very interesting my neighboring town in that county loudon county is a place called manassas i just did some research i found out that out uh, beside or outside addis ababa ethiopia the capital is addis ababa outside addis ababa the largest migrant community of ethiopians is in manassas in my backyard so 
where do I have to go to reach the Ethiopian eunuch or whatever? I don't have to go to some Gaza Strip. All I need to do is cross town. Five minutes from where I live is the largest Ethiopian community ever migrated. I mean, the world has shrunk. We're all wired together. So how do we do missions? I want to present to your church, you've got to rethink, but not just rethink, retool. And what we've done is given you four tools to do missions. Because you've got to retool. Uh, sorry, uh, I kind of become an object lesson guy with this. Was, Tim got me this yesterday. Uh, I know Pastor Bill doesn't do this every Sunday, uh, unless he has to tighten some things up in this church. But, you know, uh, we, we talked about the tool of prayer, intercession, missional prayer and journaling. Taking surveys and, and, and working with unreached people groups. Secondly, we, 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 look, we looked at the Word of God. The Word does the work. All Scripture is given by inspiration. We know that. But it's to equip us to salvation. Equip us unto every good work. Equipment. This Sunday, the last service, I talked about spiritual gifts. And how spiritual gifts work. I said, churches need more apes. And one in front looked at me like, okay... We do. We talked about the five spiritual gifts in Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12. How the ascended Christ gave to his church some to be apostles, A. Prophets, prophetic, not pathetic, prophetic. And the third, evangelistic, A, P, E. We need more apes in churches. The problem is, Bible colleges and churches have focused on the last two, pastors and teachers. We are flooding pastors and teachers all over. The churches, as soon as they graduate from Bible colleges, they want a position in a church because they are pastors and teachers. But where are the apes? Where are the apostolic missionaries? Are we sending or are we outsourcing evangelism and missions? And I shared with this church with a heavy heart, in America, we have outsourced everything, including Santa Claus for Christmas. Listen. Don't you dare outsource the Great Commission. It belongs to the local church. And in this missions conference, my burden to present to you as your missionary, as a leader in this one of these mission organizations, is to go beyond the praying and the giving to actually go, going. Because the word missions has to do with the word missio, and that's Latin, to send. And there are only two groups of people, and I'm going to close the service with asking you, which group do you belong to? Either you are a missionary sent or you are a mission and field to be reached. There's only nothing in between, really. In God's perspective, you're either a missionary sent or you're a mission field to be reached. And if we are reached and we are in the church, we are saved to be sent. How do we do that? So we looked at spiritual gifts and how to cultivate it, how to discern to detect, to develop, but most of all, deploy these gifts. And we need that in church. What is your gift? We talked about the you know, uh, sign gifts. I didn't have time to elaborate on. Everybody likes these words of prophecy and tongues and interpretation of tongues and wonders, you know, faith and miracles and healings. It's good. Whatever happened to the service gifts? Gifts of mercy. Gifts of giving, gifts of administration, kurubanesis. Maybe you're here in our church and God wants you to use those gifts. But in this closing message, 
before I head out uh, home, I want to talk about the final gift. The gift that nobody wants. The gift that nobody wants. What is it? Well, turn to First Peter in chapter 4, or 5 and verse 10. I want to speak to you in this, that, that the gift that nobody wants is actually, believe it or not, the most effective gift in missions today. The most effective gift in missions today. Some months ago, uh, I was with John Piper and uh, in a conference. I'm part of the Luzan movement. And uh, the whole emphasis of this gift has been displaced by what they call the prosperity gospel, by health and wealth. I want to talk to you today about the gift that nobody wants, but the gift that is, that is propelling missions in an unprecedented way. What is it? Suffering. Suffering. First Peter and chapter 5 and verse 10. I'm going to just read this as our theme verse and then talk about the concept of wounded healers. It may be a little bit new to some of us, but I want to leave you with this. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. Peter writes to Christians all over Asia Minor, and this is what he posits. By the way, apart from Luke, the only other writer in the New Testament who uses the name Christian is Peter. Did you know that? The word Christian is found only three times in the entire Bible. Are you a Christian? Can they answer? Are you a Christian? Yes. Did you know the word Christian is only found three times in the entire Bible? Luke uses it in Acts, where he talks about in Acts 13, 26, that, you know, those who were disciples, the disciples were first called Christians in a place called Antioch. The second time it's found, it's in Paul's witness, and he's talking to Agrippa, Acts chapter 26 and verse 28, and he says, you know, uh, you're almost persuaded me to become a... Christian, and, and Paul says, would to God, not almost, but you altogether become one. The only other place where you find the word Christian is in this letter that Peter wrote. And Peter says, in a very powerful way in chapter four sixteen, he says, if any of you suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. What is this tool? Are you going through something? Are you equipped in this way to be a witness for Jesus where you are? Now I know, and Pastor mentioned when we started, there are many families associated with this church who are hurting. Hurting in many ways. And maybe you're in our service this morning and you're saying, is there any gain in this pain? What is the point of this pain? Hey, maybe it's a tool. Maybe God is using what you're going through as a means to be a witness to those who never come to Christ unless they see the reality and purpose of pain. And so this tool I want to show you and leave a principle. Peter says in verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while. Isn't that nice to know that our suffering is not forever? If you're writing down notes, uh, write this down. Suffering doesn't last, the Christian lasts. Suffering doesn't last, saints or Christians last. That's a great thing to know. Peter says, for a little while, in chapter 1 and verse 6, this suffering is not forever. It may seem like forever right now, as you're in church, and you're hurting in several parts, but listen, it's not going to last. 
the Christian does. We have that eternal security. Suffering doesn't. So after you suffered for a little while, the God of all grace. I love that phrase. You see, in the beginning, Peter talks about having to experience manifold trials. The word in Greek is pokidos, from which we get pokidot, you know, all kinds of shapes and colors and sizes. And, and suffering comes like that. It comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes and colors, isn't it? But the same word, manifold trials, is used for the manifold grace of God. As if for every trial there is grace, that's sufficient. That's a comfort to me again. It's a short time. We have enough sufficient grace. And he says, after you, st- you suffered, and that too for this brief time, he-, he talks about this, he says, the God who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, and here's the word, he uses it twice, restore you, confirm, strengthen, and you, establish you in a metal way. Equip you. To him be dominion forever and ever. What about this gift that nobody wants? Lee, can you uh, bring up the last four slides uh, of the, my visit to Laos? What I thought I'll do is, so I can focus on the message and leave it with you. For those of you, you know, Laura and Tim and the entire committee have been praying uh, for us, I get these emails, where are you, what are you doing? So I thought I'll show you where I was uh, this summer. I was in eight countries, but one of the countries we were in is the country of Laos. Uh, how many of you have been to Laos? Anyone at all? Nobody. Do you know there is a country called Laos? Okay, this is a communistic country, now socialistic. It's illegal to be a Christian in Laos. In fact, you say, well, how do you know? Uh, where Christians are and how they meet. It's very interesting. Uh, the major cities, like if you go to Savannakant or to Pakshe, uh, we, we usually go to Pakshe and then move quietly into some of these villages. You go to a house, they don't have churches in Laos, with, you know, with big crosses and steeples. They have these houses. But how do you identify a church? Very interesting. You look at the window, and you know where the window panes are? These people have pulled out certain cross sections so that what's left in the window is in the shape of a cross. That's how you know this is a meeting place. You don't call it church. It's a gathering. And so we go there and we meet these people. But you see, the gospel is holistic. It's integrated. It affects every aspect of life. This village is known for its Lao coffee. Dao coffee. Very famous. But they don't have water. So what they do, they do what most men do, send their wives to get it, okay? So these Lao women, you know, they carry these pots on their heads and they go upstream and there's a fresh stream there. Every morning they carry water and bring it down. But how, a coffee needs water and sometimes there's drought. And so what we've done at OTAN is like, how do we really become a winsome people? Like two years ago, World Health Organization gave us small sachets. And we fill these sachets with, uh, with grain, like pulses and, uh, you know, uh, chickpeas and stuff like that. And this small packet, if you boiled it in a pressure cooker, fed five to six men. And we distributed this. In fact, the governor of that place came and distributed it. But you know what? 
That's how we went and we got the gospel. We introduced these pastors. Now, uh, I, I hope this is not going to be on the pictures, but, but I, let me mention that some of these pastors, some say, for example, is the pastor at the end. The other two you can see, um, they, they actually cultivate the, and they have churches. For the first time, OTAN helped them to build their own pipeline. They have never seen water coming out of a pipe. It's amazing. And uh, this is not a video, but I have a video of the kids literally getting scared and running away because they're like, whoa, some spirit is flowing out of this blue cap. You know, they're like, they can't, they've never seen it before. But along with giving them literal water, we also give them living water, the gospel. And it's a, it's a great world. These, these, these people are suffering. The next slide, you can see that these are the families we visited. I'm presenting this because it just moves me. That even while I speak, I, I, show, I promised I'll show them these pictures yesterday. These are three families whose husbands are right now, while I speak, in prison. They've been beaten up. They've been cuffed by their ankles and they lie flat. Some of them have been there now for three or four months in prison for their faith. And it's grace to go there and get on our knees and pray with these families. Their biggest concern is not for their release. Their biggest concern is that their family members will be witnesses to the gods. It's just moving. But the church is growing. Not just in spite of suffering. The church is growing because of suffering. And we in America need to see this. We need to ask, how do we engage in missions? What is this pain? Is it wasted? Or is it useful? Next slide. But more than anything else, I know you can't read the language of the background unless you, you know Tai Lao. Uh, the language of the background is to show that this is our training center. They come with their best clothes. We get the most brilliant leaders in Laos. And I was telling Pastor Bill and Bob, this is, where, this is what I do. This is, this, is what, this is what I like doing. And for me, when I do this, it's like attending a rock concert or something. I get in a really adrenal flow because these guys just want to learn the Word of God. They're like, teach me how to plant these churches. Tell me how to study the Bible. How did you get that from this Bible? So you teach them how to study the Bible for themselves. How to communicate the gospel effectively. And now their methods change, but the message is one. They need Jesus. I mean, that's the biggest thing. So you communicate. And after that, you certify them. In the previous service, I showed you pictures of these guys holding this certificate. It's like gold for them. Like, hey, I'm trained. I can go plant a church now, you know. Dr. Nyan can train me, you know. And they put these on the walls and they garland you like, whoa, you know, this is great. You know, they just love the word of God in spreading churches. Next, is there another slide? Okay, uh, this is one family whose father was the first martyr when the communists took over. And this is the grandson with his family, now pastoring the only registered church, evangelical church, in Pakshe, in Laos. The reason why the government can't stop this, that it was registered before the communists took over. And so what? Guess what? That's our upper room. They have an upper room. That's where we, we quietly train. Sometimes it's so dangerous, we bring these pastors across the Mekong River to the Thai side. And Thailand is much more open, and we train them. 
because some of these pastors, I mean, it's not a problem for me because I'm Indian. I'm not American. I'm not an American citizen. So I can get in. But the problem is after we do the training, uh, when we leave, their electricity is cut off. They are ostracized from their community. And so for their sake, we bring them across the river uh, for two nights, three days shopping. And, you know, we train them uh, in all, all the stuff. And they have to take goods back home. So they carry some books as they came, you know. So that's how we do missions. Now, I don't know if I can come every year to your church. I'll try to come once in two years at least to give you reports. But I wanted you to actually see what we do in these countries. Uh, most of you have never been to Laos. But you have in a sense. How? Through prayer. Through contributing. Through encouragement. Yesterday we had a great day with the voice of martyrs. And one of the verses they gave us from Hebrews 13 is to show solidarity with those who suffer because we all belong together. And Paul taught this when he talked about the body of Christ's church. When one part of the body suffers, what happens? Church, others suffer. I think it's time for the American church. If we don't show solidarity to the global suffering church, don't be surprised if suffering doesn't come to this country. I think it's already here. It really is. And you may not, they won't, may not cut electricity from your home. They may not drag you and cuff you with your ankles. But there are other forms of suffering. You try sharing Christ in that hospital. You try taking a stand in that school where you're a teacher. You're a mechanic. You try to live for Jesus and say, I don't do that stuff. I'm not going to read those books. I'm going to... You'll face it. You know Why? It's a simple thing that Jesus said, in this world, if you live for me, you will have tribulation. Everyone Paul taught who lives godly lives shall suffer persecution. In fact, if you don't suffer, you need to understand and find out, are you living for Christ? One of my mentors was Warren Wisby. And I, I learned so much from Warren Wisby because of the Back to the Bible program. And when I came back, I was surprised he was no longer the director for Back to the Bible and all that. And I, I remember asking, Dr. Wisby, why? We, we were so blessed by your teaching on the radio. Some of us, you know, that's the only way we listen is radio. Why did you stop? I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Christopher, the last two years, he says, I have not received any complaints from anybody of anything negative in my ministry. I needed to take some time off to ask myself, am I doing this right? I love that perspective. I love that perspective. Don't ever forget. How do you differentiate a live fish and a dead fish? How do you know the difference between a fish that's alive and one that's dead? The one that's dead will be floating along with the current. The one that's alive will be swimming against it. Are you alive in Christ? Or are you dead in church? See, I told you, Pastor, may not invite me again. Now, let's go to the text. Uh, have you seen these pictures? I, I want to get it out of the way because many of you say, well, what is OTAN? OTAN do does what others don't, want and can't. We make disciple makers of nationals. That's the only thing we do. We use many ways, but one thing we do. We work in restricted access countries where traditional American missionaries can't get into. But you can partner with the nationals. And that's what it is. Two people talk to me in, after church. And, and, and there were two ladies that brought tears into my eyes. One of them said to me, my husband stood up and said, I want to be a missionary. 
And she was like, what? <laughs> you know, she was shocked. You know, God can do this. This is, this is what makes church alive. Because the Spirit is at work. Beyond the caricatures that we create, God the Holy Spirit is at work. Now, a few things about suffering uh, before I let you go. Because I don't want you to stay here and suffer too long and uh, burn the roast at home. So let me talk to you a few things about suffering. The first thing I want to mention is the slide on the problem of pain. The problem of pain. Why does good things happen to bad people? Have you thought about that? Rabbi Kushner has written one of the best books. Why does good things happen to, why does bad things happen to good people? What I want to present today is a slight takeoff from that. Why does bad things happen to God's people? Have you ever thought of that? I mean, particularly pastors, you know, you pray for these guys and you say, Lord, they got cancer. And, and you, you pray for them and you're like, Lord, why did you give this person cancer? I mean, if you ask me, I'm going to give you a list of a few other deacons who really need this. I mean, why does it, it's like Fiddler on the Roof. Have you seen them? Oh, you're Baptist, you don't watch movies. You see them? All right. So, you mean, you've seen that scene in Fiddler on the Roof? The guy's like pulling his cart and he says, God, I know we are your chosen people. But can't you choose someone else for this, you know? And maybe you're in church this morning and you're trying to live for Jesus and you think, why is this happening to me, happening now? But there's a purpose. The wounded healer. You say, Nanakin, what is the wounded healer? I'm glad you asked. You see, because in Scripture, the principle was stated by Jesus. I'll just state it. I have no time. Maybe another time I'll come and do a seminar on this. Jesus looked at his disciples and he picked up a seed. In John chapter 12 and verse 24, he says, you see this seed? You see this grain of seed? He said, guys, you've got to get this. If you're going to follow me, you've got to get this. Unless this grain of seed falls into the ground and does what? Dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, what happens? It sprouts up. Life comes. It germinates. The word germinate, English is not my first language, so I have to learn all these stuff. The word germinate is to generate life. Did you know that? That's what germination means. Churches are not generating life. You know why? Because Christians are not dying to self. And missions is not for the faint in heart. If you think like, you know, what's the least path resistant, resistant path, you're not a missionary. God is calling people to be living sacrifices. You remember that verse, Romans 12, verse 2? Don't be conformed to the world. And yesterday I showed them in a seminar, one of the reasons I think the American church is losing its power for missions is because you're not maintaining your purity in church. There is a correlation between purity and power for missions. If we are messing around, sleeping with each other's spouses, and we are in drugs, how do you think you're going to be missionary? I think that's a big problem in America. I mean, I, everywhere I go, the big issue on homosexuality, you've got to be politically correct. You're morally wrong. I'm concerned for this nation. I mean, Jack Watson brought me here 30 years ago, and if it wasn't for America, I wouldn't, humanly speak, I'd never be a missionary today. I learned the Bible here. I come back and look at the issues and I'm thinking, you missed the whole point. Pastors spend most of their time, not in preaching the gospel, solving moral problems, how to be politically correct. No wonder we've lost our missional edge. 
There is a place for this where God says you've got to die to self. And I, I, I think Vance Havner was right when he said the problem with the church or Christians being living sacrifices, we crawl off the altar. We don't stay there. Missionaries stay on the altar as living sacrifices. But there's another verse I want to leave with you about this wounded healer. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Some of them were suffering. And he says, listen, those of you who are suffering, you are eligible for God's comfort. Comfort. I love the word comfort. It comes from two Latin contrasted words, calm and forte. The word fort, we get fortification, is to strengthen. Calm means with. Whenever you see the prefix calm, it means with. He says, when you are suffering, the God of comfort is with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me, the God of all comfort. And here's the point. This is the principle of the wounded healer. Paul says, listen, the reason why you are now comforted by the God of all comfort is why? So that you can now do what? Comfort those who are hurting. These are the best missionaries. Who is the best person to help or comfort someone who's going through cancer? Answer? Someone who themselves are a survivor. Isn't it? The reason why people are not becoming missionaries is because they themselves have not experienced the pains of missions, of communicating the gospel, of facing opposition. You don't make good missionaries and witnesses if you sit in everything is, you know, a kind of a rosy coast here. You can't make missionaries. What are you going to share with others? You have no message. The most powerful churches around in the world today are churches that have going, are going through persecution. Where do you find diamonds? In your backyard? On the surface? Where do you find diamonds? Deep down. You know, how do you start? What is a diamond? First, did you know a diamond is a big mass of, of charcoal? Of coal. But what happens to this big block of coal? Right in the depths of the earth, it's crushed by three things. You need three things to form a diamond. Maybe you're a piece of coal and you're not yet a diamond for missions. You know what you need? You need pressure. How do you do? How do you deal under pressure? Huh? I can't take... Well... You don't want to be a diamond, that's fine. What's the other thing about the diamond? Not only pressure, but heat. Tremendous amount of heat. Can you take the heat? Oh, me? Who? I need a little bit of AC. No. You're not going to make a missionary. You know what's the third thing? What's the third thing? Heat, pressure, time. Time. Oh, I'm, I'm going to give up. Well, you're not going to make a missionary. Because diamonds are not found in surface uh, overnight. It takes heat and pressure and time. I told you, missions is not for the faint-hearted. But God is calling you. I dare challenge you. You know, my daughter the other day, she wants to go bungee jumping. Baba, you, you know what this bungee? You, put a, you hang at the end of a rubber band and they throw you and you're like, oh my. And she's like, Dad, I want to go bungee jumping. I said, well, you know. Go ahead, you know, say hi to Jesus, and, you know, whatever you want. You know, you know Pastor Bill, I'm, I'm convinced. The reason why churches are not producing missionaries or people who witness for Jesus, we are not challenging them enough. I'm serious. 
We're like, oh man, don't worry, don't worry. take it easy, you need a pill, maybe you're going through, you're dyslexic. I mean, we've got all these problems. And any little kid, you know, any little problem, oh man, we need special attention. Get them, just go bungee jump. You know, they're not going to die, really. No, they're not. Where are these bungee jumping missionaries? Where are we? We just need to be producing this. And I think it's very important when we go through this to understand, is something bad happening? No. Is this punishment for sin? Not really. This is going to render me unproductive. These are all big theological questions for missions today. The answer is in all these we are more than conquerors. God is going to reconcile pain with his power. How is he going to do that? Well, for this morning, because of time's sake, I just want to ask, leave you with three questions and one il- and with an illustration in it. So if you're taking notes, I want to ask you three questions about the pain that you're going through as a take-home. Question number one. Is this suffering that you're going through, is it God's rod of correction? Second question, is it Satan's thorn in your flesh? And third question, is it Jesus' cross to bear? I believe I can differentiate, and by the way, this is an outline I give to pastors who have never been to school. Illiterate, uneducated pastors understand this. So I'm sure at Faith Evangelical, all you scholars from Kobe or wherever, you're going to get this. I know you will. But I, I really found that the gospel is simple. We make it sophisticated. It's really very simple. And maybe in this framework, you can understand whatever pain you're going through. And you see this pain as a tool. And what God is doing in suffering by shaping you to be a servant. So let me qualify and give you some of the criteria to understand Christian suffering. I go to churches and they say, you know what, I was telling somebody about Jesus and they kicked me out of my job, pray for me, I'm suffering for Jesus. And then I spent time, they were doing it on work hours, they were purely obnoxious and rude, and they stuck in the face of the manager and I told him he's going to hell. I would kick them out too, myself. And they say, I'm suffering for Jesus. You're not suffering. You're stupid. Is that a Christian word? Anyway, you know, that's not, that's wrong. You don't do that and think, I'm suffering for Jesus. So you say, okay, Nana, can, can you tell us quickly, I mean, uh, what is this tool? I mean, I, I want to be used of God. I want to be a witness. But what is this? Well, let me start with the first thing. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 12 He talks to those who are following Christ and they're going through tough times. And they're asking the question, why? Why me? Why now? Why here? I mean, you know, the why questions. And the writer to the Hebrews basically looks at them and says, why not? And the rationale he gives gives them is something that our church needs to hear. Now, Our daughters have grown up. One is a fourth year pre-med student.
student and she's finishing a fourth year, she's doing her MCAT, she's really nervous at Liberty. Other one is in finishing high school. She's 17, going on 21, I think. Anyway, so I, we've got two daughters. And you know, the, the other day, we were in a, is it a mall or something, and we saw this child in the aisle throw a tantrum. Have you watched this? I'm like, ah! You know, I, I was like, oh my word. You know, I mean, some kids, I don't understand. I love kids, but some kids, I never knew why some animals eat their young ones, you know. I mean, <laughs> the, you know, I, I mean, National Geography, you know, and you say, what is that? Is it demon possessor? What, what's going on with that? And I said, Dorothy, you know, someone's just going and just, 911, social worker, come and take your dad. You know, this country's gone the other extreme. I'm serious. And I, I don't want to exaggerate, and I love kids. But I tell you something. Uh, do you think I would, if my neighbor's kids threw a tantrum, do you think I'll go and whack them? Why? Why would, I, I feel like, why wouldn't I? Not because of 911 and stuff like that. Not because I'll be paid a failure. You know what? I simply don't do that because they are not my. But if they were my kids, I'll do something about it. Why? Because I'm their father. That's the first point in Hebrews 12. Paul, uh, who was the writer to the Hebrews, steps down to these people who are, oh, it's hurting. He says, listen, God has allowed this? Yes, he has. Why me? Well, I'll tell you why. He loves you. <gasps> he loves me? And he's, uh, he's beating me up? Church, listen, it's not just proverbial. Rebellion is bound in the heart of a child but the rod of correction will drive it far away. A modern equivalent to that is spare the rod, spoil the child. That's not in the Bible, but that's taken from that verse. When God disciplines you, it proves that he's your father, that you're his child. In fact, he flips it over in verse 8. He says, if you are not chastened, I can't use that word in church. Basically, you're illegitimate children. Do you want to be an illegitimate child? Or do you want to be a child of a father who loves and cares? Then he will use the rod of correction. But don't forget Psalm 23, which you know so well. It is thy rod and thy staff that does what? Ooh. Don't ever forget the function of the rod. And by the way, if you study Hebrews and understand in the Hebrew culture what that meant for a father. By the way, the word rod, if you study the background in, in that social cultural uh, epoch, the father who had to discipline his kid. Because many times we dads, we, we discipline out of anger and wrath. We, we react. You know, we use brute force. The word used for rod in Hebrew means a tender twig. Which means what? He, when his child was throwing the tantrum, he had to go to his backyard, find a twig, and this is like what you would say in America, count ten before you whack somebody, you know. So he goes back, he picks that, and he brings it. So it's done out of care, it's done because he cares. Now listen, I'm not here to motivate and manipulate you to do missions. That's the last thing I want to do. I'm here to teach and preach the Word of God. But I tell you, some of us as Christians, we need the rod now and then. 
Because we've gravitated to our comfort zones. We've lost that edge for evangelism. We are now in America, I told them yesterday, in a culture of entitlement. Everybody owes us something. Why are we Americans? You know, go to the mission field. Most of the world don't even know what their rights are. And they don't have rights. Now you see why we're not missional. Because we do not like the rod of correction. We get mad with the pastor. We don't like the church. We don't want to leave. I'm not going to get my tithes. Grow up. This is part of belonging to God the Father. This is part of being the family of God. We need more good bungee jumping again. For Jesus this time. The second thing is very interesting. First question Is it God's rod? Can we say that together? Suffering. First question, is it? And if it's God's rod, take it. Second question. The Apostle Paul was a very interesting guy. The moment he became a Christian, God sent a guy called Ananias. He said, Ananias, I got a message for you to go and tell Saul of Tarsus. Can you imagine being Ananias? This prophet of God, this godly saintly man. He shares from God. He shares God's word. And God says to him, Ananias, oh, ring, ring, Ananias. Yes. Go to a street called Straight. You'll find this guy called Saul of Tarsus. Go and tell him I've chosen him to be an instrument. And he says, wrong number. You know. I, I'm, not, I'm not going to Saul of Tarsus. God says, yes, you are. All right. What do you want me to tell him? Well, tell him he's chosen. Okay. Chosen for what? To suffer. I'm not going to tell him. That is... But you know, Acts chapter 9 and verse 16, that's exactly what Ananias. He puts his hand and he says, Brother Saul, God has chosen you. And he's going to show you what great things you will suffer for my name's sake. You, you did that. I know you're going through Philippians. Did you read Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29? Paul writes to this church which is full of joy and rejoicing. He says, listen. It has been, and the word he uses is Doron. It has been gifted to you. It has been given to you. Not only to bear the name, but also to do what? Suffer for that name's sake. You don't, it's in the Bible. Underline that, learn it. It is given to you. Not only to believe, I am a Christian. It is given to you. It is gifted to you to suffer for that name's sake. What did it cost you to come to church this morning? What does it cost us to share our faith in this country? Come to Laos, Vietnam, North Korea, Cambodia, Bhutan, Myanmar, Russia, the underground church in China. They can't meet like this and sit on padded pews. I was in a church the other day talking with a group of leaders. This lady comes in and says, Pastor! He says, I came here, I had to drive twice to get a parking space in this church. She was mad. Because he didn't get a parking space. It's like, I'm going to leave this church. What do you mean? I have to go two times to find a parking space. You know, I've been to places where people will travel four to five hours across mountain ranges and come with a piece of cloth to put it under a tree so there'll be a shade while listening to a message. Paul had to learn 101. 
You are called to suffer. This is it. Get used to it from the very beginning. Ananias, God's chosen me for what? To suffer. Yeah, you're going to stand before kings and governors and Gentiles and they're going to suffer. They're going to make life miserable for you. That's your calling. Cheer up. It's going to get worse. <laughs> this is the Bible. Folks, uh, I'm preaching the Bible. I- I'm not telling you something. All right. Paul has these heavenly visions, okay? Imagine being the, the apostle. You're caught up to this third heaven. But then the body, on the spirit, you don't know it's like this. Extraterrestrial, beam me up, Scotty. You know, this kind of a, a wonderful experience he has. And he, he's given all this revelation. You can see his head, oh, you know, I know more than Peter, James, and John. He's like, really? From ecstasy, and that's not a drug, that's an expression. Like, from ecstasy in heaven, third heaven. Paul comes all the way down to agony. A thorn in the flesh. I want you to notice the verb. This is 2 Corinthians 12. You know the passage. Paul says in verse 7, Lest I should be exalted above measure, there was given to me. Did you see the word? Did you hear that? There was gifted to me. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now the word flesh, carnia, we know it's physical. And thorn, whatever the thorn is, we don't know. And by the way, I'm, th- I'm so thankful we don't know what the thorn is. Now, Paul had a lot of physical problems. We know that. For example, in Galatians 6, he, we know he had eye problems because he had to write so big. In Corinth, we know he definitely had epilepsy. They used to spit when he went, so he, you know, he constantly had epilepsy. I mean, Paul was not too good to look at. Did you know that? Read Josephus. I mean, Josephus also writes about Paul. He was short. He was bald head. He was bow legged. He had bad eyesight. Suffered with malaria, probably from the Galatian areas. I mean, no wonder his wife left him. I mean, who wants to be with this guy? Every time he gets beaten, I'm so, I heard somebody say the thorn in the flesh was his wife. I don't believe that at all. But anyway, whatever that thorn in the flesh was, because, you know, two become one flesh is married, so they thought thorn in the flesh. Anyway, I don't agree with that. But whatever, I believe the thorn in the flesh were these opponents who constantly hounded Paul and these Judaizers who wanted to kill him. I believe it was his persecution. They literally, physically wanted to kill him. Once it was so serious, that they put him on a wall and put him in a basket. And he was a literal basket case. That's the Apostle Paul. So what are you going to do, Paul? There's this thorn in the flesh. You know the verse. Paul prays. He prays. And in fine Jewish tradition, like Jesus did in Gethsemane, three times, he says, Lord, you know, take this away. Take this away. I don't need this. I'm your servant. It's thorn in the flesh. Take it away. Have you prayed recently? So, Lord, I don't need this now. A month ago, I came back from Cambodia. <laughs> it's very interesting. I was hale and hearty. I backed myself up in a, in a railing in Cambodia. And I fractured, or dislocated my tailbone. Have you ever been, have you dislocated your tailbone? My goodness, it's a very important part of your body. I never, I, I, I lived and drove, I did, on a donut, you know what a donut pillow is? They gave me a donut pillow. And I tell you, man, and then I ended up in uh, having surgery two months ago. 
They rushed me into this Fairholt's hospital. There was the entire rectum. There was a there was a uh, there's a ring of abscesses that were passing. They had to surgically remove it. I've never been to a doctor in my life. I've never had a dentist. I have, but I've never been to. A, I've never been admitted. And it's scary, you know, when they put you on this, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the stretcher. And it's the funny part. They rig you up with IVs and all before the anesthesia. And, you, you know, you, you're seeing these lights and you're like, heaven is for real. You know, and like, what, what did I do? I should have witnessed to Johnny Lennon. You know, you get all these last thoughts. What, what did I not do? And then the stupid nurse comes and says, would you sign this? I'm like, what is this? Just in case you die, we are not responsible. For I'm like, what? I mean, do I need this now? I mean, this, the system is amazing. But Paul had this problem. And he prayed, Lord, would you please take... Again, Lord, please take... Pretty please with cherry on it. Would you take this away? I'll serve you all my life. And what did God do, church? Did God take it away? As far as we know, Paul lived with that thorn in the flesh. He asked for subtraction. God gave him addition. More grace. More grace. My grace, verse 10, is sufficient. Because when I'm weak, then I am strong. Church, ultimately, it's left to this. If it's not the Father's rod, if it is the Father's rod, take it. If it is Satan's thorn, it's not good English, grace it. It's great theology. Just apply grace. He will give you grace to endure. But here's what I want to leave you with. Jesus said, Luke 9 verse 23, If anyone wants to come after me, let them deny themselves. Deny yourself every Sunday, right? No, daily. Take up your cross and follow me. Should Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone. And there's a cross for me. I close with this story and I want to challenge you this morning. It's the story of uh, Joseph Damien, one of my favorite missionaries. I don't know if you have a slide at the end, but let me tell you the story. Um, in fact, I went to see his work in an island called Molokai. And I want you to take this story home with you. Uh, it has affected me so powerfully. Joseph Damien was a medic from Belgium. He was a doctor. And somehow God moved him to work among those, this is in the 18th century, who had Hansen's disease. You know what Hansen's Leprosy. I mean, some of you, have any of you met a leper? Okay. In countries I work in, like Nepal, I'm coming back to Nepal, every Saturday they let lepers out to do begging. You meet them. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can't even mention this, but when I was in Bhutan, I trained the first leper church planter who has planted a church in a leprosy colony. It's amazing. It's moving. His name is Golan. But anyway, Father Joseph Damien was here and uh, he went and worked among lepers. But did you know that Hawaii 
was a place where they quarantined lepers in the 18th century. Did you know that? I mean, I go to teach at Hawaii uh, for the Hagia Institute. So every year I go once to Hawaii. That's where I got my tan, by the way. So, I mean, I go to Hawaii to teach. So I, I go to Hawaii and I suddenly realize there's an island. There's five islands. There's one island called Molokai. Joseph Damien went to Molokai because that was where all the lepers were. And every day he would work among them. Tremendous work. You, you study that and go to Wikipedia and study what he did. I mean, the Hawaiians love singing. But the lepers couldn't sing or play the guitar. You know why? Because their, star, their fingers fall off if they break. Father Damien uh, invented what they call gut strings. You know, the, what he calls the you know, gut strings, very soft. Uh, Damien. Slippers, you know. What happens when lepers walk and they hit a rock? Their toes fall off. Joseph Damien discovered Hawaiian slippers. Soft padded slippers for lepers. Did you know that? Yeah. Missionaries do a lot more than just have Bible studies. You know, he would go, he would preach, he would bandage their wounds, nothing would happen. He built a chapel. I've gone to that chapel in, in Molokai. Lovely chapel. Every Sunday he'd gather these people he'd work to. He would stand in the pulpit and he would open the service by saying, he'd open the Bible and he'd say, My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, and he'd share the gospel. Nobody responded. Again, he'll go bandaid the wounds of the lepers, live among them, help them in their community, whether it's singing or agriculture. Come back every Sunday. He would bring them up, open the Bible. He would start the message. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, give them nobody responded. How frustrating is that? One day, Joseph Damien was making a cup of tea, hot tea. And he went to the counter, and he picked up this hot boiling kettle, steaming hot. And he was going to move it, to and he accidentally spilled that water, steaming water on his foot. Suddenly he realized, he didn't feel a thing. You know what had happened? He had contracted the disease. No one but God and Joseph Damien knew the impact when that Sunday usually he would stand up, open the Bible and start my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. This Sunday he walked to the pulpit, he opened the Bible and he started with the phrase my fellow lepers in Christ. My fellow lepers in Christ people started getting saved. You know why? He became one among them. Incarnation. Church, is God calling us? I'm so glad I'm on a mission. Members, dear members, would there be a time that I can come and address this church, my fellow missionaries in Christ? Because we are all getting the gospel out. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for this morning. For this gift that nobody wants. For this tool that powerfully shapes us. To do things beyond our imagination. Lord, would you this morning work in our midst. If you are calling us, would you give us the boldness to go where you want us to go. 
to identify with people and bring them into your kingdom. If God's calling you this morning, you say, Christian, again, I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't can't, I can't language and all, but you know, God's spoken to me, maybe across the street, if it's not overseas. But I do want to communicate the gospel, even through my pain. I want to bring gain for the kingdom. Would you pray for me? If that's your desire, would you quietly stand wherever you are? I want to pray for you. Quietly stand wherever you are. God bless you. Just stand where you are. I want to pray. And then we dismiss. Stand where you are. All over. Say, I'm tired of my comfort zone. I am willing to take some risks. It may be difficult, embarrassing. But I do want to step out. To be intentionally missional. To share the gospel with those around me. To see his kingdom come. Father God, I thank you for these many who are standing all over our auditorium this morning. Lord, we are standing on trembling feet because we can't do it ourselves. Holy Spirit, would you hold our hands? Would you lead us in these missional paths and do it for your name's sake?